Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Bree. And joining us today on the podcast, we have special guest author Sophie Pembroke. Welcome to the podcast, ma'am. Please tell us how you're doing and how your 2021 is going. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, 2021 is on balance, I think, better than 2020 so far. <laughs> Definitely. We can't ask for more than that. <laughs> Literally all I'm looking for in a year these days. Right. Yeah. The bar The bar was set so low. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's start off with some icebreaker questions. On your website, you write that in your world, everything stops for tea. What's your favorite kind of tea to drink? My favorite kind of tea is a cup of tea that someone else has made for me. That's, that's my favorite. <laughs> Love <Yes>. it. <laughs> what was your first job? Oh, I worked at a supermarket checkout on oh. Saturdays. <laughs> oh, <laughs> When Saturday I was 16. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is one thing you find yourself nostalgic for? I think, and this is a weird one because I don't think I really am nostalgic for it, but you remember when you used to have to watch a TV program and you used to have to wait a week to watch it? Mm -hmm. Oh gosh, that's one of Sarah's things. You know, I love, I love, love, love being able to stream and binge watch a whole thing, but I've just started watching something with my husband and my parents are watching it. My brothers are watching it and it's only on once a week and we're all phoning each other and going, did you see it yet? Have you watched it? Did you watch it live? And I'm waiting for the, it's like, it's a a thriller and I'm waiting for that final episode where we all watch it at the same time and then phone each other and it's going to be great. So I'm sort of nostalgic for that, but not really because I'm reliving it. <laughs> I, ju- I, I just, kids today just don't understand what it was like to wait, not even a week, but you know, in May when the series would end oh, and then you'd have to wait till September for the oh, new no. season. <laughs> I'm watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer with my yeah. daughter at the moment. Me too. And she just doesn't understand. You know, I'm like, at this point, you wouldn't know what happened next for another three months. She's like, well, exactly. you know why? <laughs> and there was no internet to do spec. I mean, there no. was internet, but nobody speculated. It wasn't like it is now. You know what I mean? Mm. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I have to ask because I'm watching I, I didn't watch Buffy growing up but I, so this is my first time watching it and I'm watching it with my daughter she's about to turn 13 and mm-hmm. she is hooked what does your daughter think about it also hooked she's also about to turn 13 uh, in January <laughs> and uh, she wasn't sure we were trying to find something new to watch together and I showed her a few options and uh, we were looking at things that I remember loving mm-hmm. um, and she was watching looking all going where are the women in this one where are the strong women? They don't look like they're going to do anything. And then we got to Buffy. She's like, oh, this one, this one. We'll watch this one. This looks great. And she loves it. She disapproves of all the kissing. She'd rather there was more vampires, less kissing. Uh, yeah. She has to hide behind a blanket for the kissing bits. We're about to hit the whole Buffy spike thing. And I'm thinking, well, she's not going to like this. Um, <laughs> but we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> and then there's... Um, uh, she... She sees things in it that I never noticed at the time, but I see them now watching back. I mean, I loved Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It was mm-hmm. my thing. And um, there, there's a lot in it that was perfectly, that's just how you do TV then. Whereas now I'm watching it going, yeah, you wouldn't write that character that way anymore, would you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, if you were given an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? I'd probably read, if I'm honest. Um, or sleep. Sleep would be nice. Mm-hmm. What is one of the best purchases you've treated yourself to this year? I bought myself a new desk because my husband has kicked me out of my study and now I have to work in the other room. So I spent all my money on a very nice desk to sit at while I'm doing it. So now he's sorry. I love that. (laughs) Yes. That is like up next on my, when I have extra money to Mm -hmm. buy something for myself. I want a desk of my own. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I've got over the whole having a room of my own thing, thanks to Virginia Woolf, but now I've got a desk. It's something, right? <laughs> For girls to do anything, she needs a desk that's hers. Absolutely. <laughs> so we love romance origin stories. And from what we've read on your website, it sounds like yours began in an academic setting, which was so cool. Um, so can you share with us how you became a romance reader? Sure. Um, I think growing up, I read, I read a lot. <laughs> I read a lot, a lot. But I read a lot of fantasy um, and some historical and, and, and all sorts of other things. And I liked the, the romances that appeared in them, but it never occurred to me that that was just a thing you could just read. You could just read people falling in love. I thought you had to have all the other stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I was doing my English literature degree 
that one of weeks, uh, the assigned reading was to go and read a Mills and Boone. And obviously, as you can imagine, the rest of the seminar group, there was a lot of sniggering and things. Mm-hmm. I went off and I found these Mills and Boone in the sheriff's shop and I stayed up and sat down in bed with them one, one night and started reading. And I did not stop. I loved them. I said, this, this is what I was looking for. Yeah, <laughs> I found what I've been looking for. <laughs> all the time. I thought I had to read all that other stuff. I could have just got to the good stuff, the people and the emotions and all of that. That's what I wanted. So I still read all the other things as well. But when I just want romance, I can just read romance. It's great. <laughs> okay, because... this is the first one where it became required reading. That- yes. <laughs> and Sarah and I, weren't we, we were just talking about this. Like, we wonder if there are college courses that focus on romance or include romance. So, I mean, what oh, was the, so. <laughs> do you remember what, like, the conversation in class was about after you all read the book? Like, what was the purpose of the assignment? I really don't remember. Um, the only thing that stuck with me is the book. I think we were reading um, a lot of different things. And I think you had a choice of different bits you could pick. And I picked Mel's and me. Um, mm-hmm. But I can't quite remember what what it was for. That <laughs> is so cool, though. Oh, my God. Just the fact that that was an option, I think, is so cool. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Has writing always been a passion of yours? For a very, very long time. I mean, I was writing my own stories when I was nine or ten. And um they, they were terrible, but I really loved them. Um, and yeah, dreaming <laughs> up my own stories has always been a big part of my life. So at what point in your life did you realize you wanted to pursue writing professionally? I think I always knew that if I had the choice to do anything I wanted to do in the world, then being an author would be it. I didn't think it was necessarily an option. Um, you know, I... I I knew that it was such a long shot. It's like, well, I've got to have an actual job as well because that's not just going to pay any bills, is it? Um, and uh, so when I graduated university, I kept writing. I kept writing my own stories. I kept doing my own thing, but I also got a real job and, and did the whole career thing. Um, but I never stopped writing and learning and trying to get better. Um, and... Uh, I learned a lot about the publishing industry and how it worked and what I would need to do. I just figured I'd just do both. I mean, I worked um, as a conference organiser for many, many years, organising medical events and conferences all over the world. So I had all this downtime in airports and hotel rooms. um, And I was waking up at weird times because of uh, jet lag and time zones and stuff. And I would just keep writing and I would keep writing and I would keep writing until I was in a position where I could send things off to agents and I could start seeing if it would go somewhere and I always just figured if I get trying eventually <laughs> it might not ever pay my bills but I might get something published. So what was that journey like to becoming published? Long, long is what it was like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I cannot tell you how many rejection letters I have in my file um, but I got better every time so I started sending things to agents and I originally I got form rejection letters and then they started getting more personalized and then I had people emailing saying well it's not quite right but maybe work with this editor we recommend and see um and I worked with the editor they recommended and she was a freelance editor who was interning at the agency and she later became a literary agent and um when she became a literary agent she phoned me up and said are you still looking for representation I said I am and so she said well how would you like to work with me? I said, I really, really would. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Once I'd got there, I mean, I had, again, a lot of rejections. My first book that went out on submission was roundly rejected. Again, people were saying, oh, we really like it, but there's always the but, you know, and it it just, you know, it went on for quite a while, but I kept going. And I think that was the advantage of having been trying to write for so many years and having already put so many hours into it to learning how to do it, to doing NaNoWriMo, to doing all the different things. And, connecting with other people in the same position was I knew that there was a lot of knockbacks involved I knew that it took a lucky break so I just kept trying um it's the only time in my life I've not taken rejection personally um, and uh, <laughs> eventually I sat down at a cafe with my agent Gemma and she said okay what are we going to try next you know we've, we've got to we've got to get a new book out there what are we going to write and I was working on a YA novel with her and we talked about what, what I wanted to do in the YA sphere and I said but also I've been writing some romance on the side as well because it's another genre I love um and I was submitting to a Mills and Boone um sort of blitz thing where you sent in the first 
chapter and if they liked it they asked for three chapters and if they liked it they asked the whole manuscript and it was all happening really quickly long story a very long story slightly shorter it got to the point where I had a YA novel uh, romance about baking called Love Lies and Lemon Pies out on submission with my agent and I had a full manuscript in with Mills and Boone for the romance line and I sold them both in the same week because that's how these things happen (laughs) wow yeah all these years and then they just both of them at the same time, which is why I, I write Sophie Pembroke for romance and I wrote YA as Katie Cannon so that my younger readers didn't get confused. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because that could go badly. <laughs> so prior to those two, I mean, can you take us like what was popular in like right now, like rom coms I feel like are definitely having a moment in romance. Yeah. Um like paranormal, it, you know, there are still some very prominent authors like if they put something out we're Mm. gonna go buy it but it's Mm -hmm. not as it's not like it's booming moment like it was once upon a time so like what was happening in romance at the time when you first started pursuing it and like what kind of story those rejections like what were the stories that you were submitting oh that's an interesting one um I think when I first started and that there is like a seriously nine-year gap between these these things but when I started it it was very much paranormal was still the big thing mm-hmm. um and then and I don't know if it's slightly different you know the timings are probably slightly different here in the UK than in the US as well um then sort of mid submissions was 50 shades um was coming mm-hmm. up and so it was all very 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 steamy and my books generally weren't um <laughs> <laughs> I wrote some of the books I submitted and I did actually I published um a trilogy of women's fiction with a digital first publisher over in the States called Lyrical Press beforehand. Um, and they were then republished in the UK by Karina Press a few years later. But so I had already managed that. So I think, yeah, I was probably slightly out of step because mine were, were quite community-focused, women's fiction, sweet things at a time when everyone wanted erotica. So it wasn't a perfect match, I'll be mm. honest. And then I just got really, really lucky uh, with Bills and Boone that they sort of read it and said, this is perfect for what was then the Cherish line. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's what I write. Because I mostly read um, modern and historicals, but I've always been too lazy to do the research for historical. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, But when they when the editor has read my voice, it's like, you're perfect for Cherish. And and when I read more of them, I was like, oh yeah, this, this is where I belong. This is, this is my voice. This is my stories. So it was, I was really lucky to find that. Okay. Cherish is romance, right? It is. Yes. True love. Yes. True love. It had so many, it's had so I many names. Know. So confusing. <laughs> I mean, even now, Sarah and I, we try to make sure that we say it the way it is in different parts of the world. So we'll be like, romance, true love, forever. (laughs) Honestly, I can't keep it straight. It's terrible. So, okay, yeah, you published both romance and women's fiction Mm -hmm. titles. Did you always know that you, and I mean, now we know young adult as well. So (laughs) did you know you always wanted to like write in those three different genres? I think, yes, because I I always have. I I get bored quite easily. So it's really nice for me to switch gears and do different things. And I, I just find it so much more engaging to be able to write different sorts of stories. I, I love I love telling stories and I'm less fussed about what they are. Some stories are quite self-contained and, and focused on two characters and they work really well for category romance. And I love those because you can get really in-depth into the characters. But then sometimes I want to write a bigger group of friends or a community. And that's perfect for the women's fiction, especially when I'm looking at a setting and a, and, a, and a place that brings people together and I those are the books I love to read as well I, that's basically it I have eclectic reading tastes and I want to try and write all the things I read mm-hmm. so yeah watch here for the fantasy when I get around to it <laughs> <laughs> your Mills and Boone romances are part of the true love forever romance line for anyone who has yet to read a romance from this line how would you describe it to them Oh, they're brilliant. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's like the perfect definition. <laughs> yep, yep. There's so many uh, so many authors who write for the uh, True Love line that I read avidly before I saw, and I now I get to actually talk to them, and it's so exciting to me all of the time. Um, mm. But basically, True Love romance novels are emotional. I mean, they are just pure emotion from page one to the end. Um, you have 
luxurious settings. You have billionaires. You have all of those things that you associate with category romance. But what sets true love apart is the intense focus on the characters and how they change to find love, um, Mm -hmm. to believe they can have love to become the people they need to be to get their happy ever after and I think that's that deep deep emotional focus on helping people move past their past or their own mental blocks and things like that that's what makes them special to me personally I've been reading you for years and oh really yeah like you're you're one of the authors that when I see you have a new book out I'm like well I'm buying that one because I know I'm gonna like it um (laughs) but my question is uh just on a side note is that I, we realize that recently romance or true love is now getting a little spicier. Yeah. Because when I read the, the <laughs> and the Rebel Billionaire, oh, I'm I so literally sorry. had to check the cover three times. I'm like, did they mislabel the author? I mean, it's good, but. <laughs> she messaged me because she was reading yours and I was reading Rachel Stewart's. We were reading uh-huh. them at the same time. And she's yeah. like, Brie, I don't remember romance being this spicy. And at the same time, I was reading um, Kate Walker's like 12 point guide to writing romance or whatever. And it said like, oh, the romance series is behind closed doors. And I messaged Sarah. She's like, you can tell that was written a long time Time ago. It is quite a recent change. Actually, they did change the guidelines. They said, yeah, we're open to exploring a higher sensuality. So um, did you yeah. decide to do that on your own or because it was part of the the the, tr- or the the four books or whatever it is, did you just do it because all the rest of the books in that series were going to be doing that? Or was that your own choice to to add the steam? It was actually the pitch for the, the uh, series was okay. it's going to be a higher sensuality series. And uh, when my editor approached me about writing it, she said, would you be comfortable doing that? And I said, oh, mm-hmm. we'll give it a go. And, and I handed it in and she said, why haven't we been asking you to do this for years? So, <laughs> so that was, was quite brilliant. That's all I, it was very well done. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> just, just surprising. <laughs> yeah. I, when I was talking about it on social media, I kept saying, don't forget, this one's a bit spicier than the others. Sorry. <laughs> the worst part was when I was writing that one, and it is by far, as you know, the sexiest thing I've written in a very yeah. long time. And yeah. the worst part was I was writing a lot of it during the part of lockdown last year here in the UK where we opened up a little bit and my parents came to stay and we couldn't go anywhere. So we were in the house all the time and my husband, Simon, was in the study and I was working out in the family room with my parents sitting right behind me trying to write those scenes thinking, <laughs> I just hope they don't read off my shoulder. Because <laughs> <laughs> there is sex on the page, okay? Oh, yes. <laughs> I haven't sent that. My, my biggest fan um, in the whole wide world is my husband's elderly aunt. I haven't mm. haven't sent it that one because I'm a bit worried Aww. about the heart. <laughs> maybe you just put a redact. sticky note. Yeah, like just put a sticky note on it. Like yeah. maybe skim this page. Yeah, no. <laughs> Before we like move on with like title specific questions, can you talk a little bit about writing both? romance and women's fiction because it's something you've been doing from the start and we're seeing a lot of romance authors just I think like as they're getting older that's something that they're wanting to explore more which makes total sense and the books are wonderful but like how you I don't know like balance both of them and are there any like craft pieces that are just different from doing one to the other you know how do you what's the focus in the women's fiction novel versus writing a romance novel can you just talk about kind of the techniques it's it is wildly different um and it's a really different mindset when I sat down to do it as well I've been writing category romance for a lot of years now and yeah while I don't get it right first time by any stretch of the imagination just ask my editor I do have a pretty good handle of what it involves and I know I need my characters my, my hero my heroine I know they have to be the main focus I know that what I'm really looking for when I'm starting to plot the book is what their issues are, what's keeping them apart, why can't they trust love, why can't they be together. And I know that I get really deep in on that emotional conflict before I do anything else. Sometimes before I've even figured out where they're going to be or you know what the names are, it's, it's focusing in on that first. And I know that I don't have a lot of room for manoeuvre around that, that the most important thing in that book, when you've only got 50,000 words to tell that story, is to focus in on the characters and the hero and the heroine and their story, and that's what it's about. When I'm writing women's fiction, the whole world opens up, and I'm writing often about a group of people. Like, in when I wrote The Wedding on Mistletoe Island, that's 
a group of friends, long-time friends, they've all got their own issues and they all have different interactions with each other and different backstory together. And that's a much wider world to consider. Again, when I wrote Summer on Seashell Island, that's three siblings and their historical conflict and where they need to go. It's three different strands of story. So that takes a lot more thinking around to figure out how best to bring those strands together, how to weave a story around all these different people and bring in more of the setting and the secondary characters and the humour and all the other things that need to go into it. So they take a lot longer to think about. You know, they're twice as long to write, of course, because they're twice as long to read. But the thinking time, I find, is much longer because there's just so many different strands to draw in. Whereas with the category romances, once I've got the idea, it builds really quickly in my head because it's so tight and there's no room for anything extra. So I can just really get deep into it and it just builds quite quickly. So yeah, the biggest difference is the amount of time I have to spend thinking before I start writing. (laughs) Can you talk about also just from Sarah and I being like really active, like bloggers and in that blogging world, I think even amongst romance readers, women's fiction has this stigma about it. And can you talk a little bit like what are some of the misconceptions you think people have about women's fiction? Like I think some people just assume it's I mean, I think with books, right, like a lot of things, a lot of times it's timing, you find books at the time of your life when you really need them. And I think a lot of women's fiction is so powerful. I mean, Mm -hmm. and, and I but I think if you if you're like a 19 year old and you pick it up, you might not be mentally ready for what you're about to be hit with because you're just not in that phase of life. But can as a, as a writer of it, because I think that the books are so important. I mean, women go through the things that you all write about mm-hmm. all over the world and every day and at every age. So can you talk a little bit about some of the misconceptions that maybe it has? Sure. I think you're right that there is a maturity to women's fiction that maybe you don't appreciate until you hit that sort of same level. Because you're right, it's really important stories that are being told in the women's fiction sphere. And the fact they've got cartoon covers and, you know, bright colours and things doesn't take away from the power of the stories within. Over here in the UK, and I don't know if it's the same over in, in the US, the Mills and Boone are the ones that people snicker when I say I write the women's fiction ones they're more respectable you can pick those up in the supermarket that's fine people are okay with those it's the romances they laugh at me for but yeah I I don't know I think the very fact that they're called women's fiction is putting Mm -hmm. them in a completely different box saying well obviously only women read those and we don't say that about stories about men we don't say that's men's fiction it's true you know we we, we say oh that's a thriller but yeah Mm -hmm. women will probably read it too or, mm-hmm. you know, all the different genres, women's fiction has to be something. It's, it's contemporary fiction. It's stories about real people living their lives. And quite often there are male characters living their lives too. Mm-hmm. They might be mostly read by women, but that's partly just because that's how they're marketed. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's a real shame that these stories aren't available to more people or that people might not read them because they feel there is a stigma about them. Because I think they have an awful lot of important stuff to say to readers. In your book, Road Trip with the Best Man, Dawn is a runaway bride. Jilted bride, my mistake. (laughs) Jilted bride. Jilted bride. (laughs) Jilted bride. No, not wrong. (laughs) True, true. Who persuades best man Cooper to join her on an epic road trip from California to New Hampshire to find her missing groom. Along the way, the two stop at some very interesting out-of-the-way attractions like White King, a giant polar bear... (laughs) in Elko, Nevada. Uh, so how did you come, like find the places that these they travel to along the way? A lot of research. Sadly, I have never done this road trip myself. Um, <laughs> I've, I've visited the US a lot, but I've never done a proper road trip outside of Texas. A road trip in Texas. That's my mm-hmm. lot. But I love the idea. I think it's just mm-hmm. such a classic idea of a, a road trip across the country. And the force, force proximity was perfect. Yes. And I, you know, yes. it was... It, this was one of the very few books where the, the idea of doing this road trip came to me first, and then I built the characters around it. Um, you know, who would be most miserable on this road trip together? Oh, these two. Um, <laughs> and, uh, 
it's probably the book I've done the most research for as well ever because I have maps printed out everywhere I had all the websites of every bizarre attraction across America and figuring out my best route and going okay but if they go that way they can go and see that Hmm, any reason they might go that way (laughs) (laughs) and I really wanted the giant polar bear in there because he's so cool (laughs) so yeah a lot of research I read it earlier this year and it was one of my, and I'm not just saying it's one of my favorite reads of the year because Aww. it just, it made me smile the whole way through. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, yeah. I would stop reading and I was Google searching <laughs> like stuff like, really, is this an actual place? Because I grew up doing road trips. So uh-huh. I'm used to the whole road trip thing. My father would find these places that were like so out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so much fun to read it. <laughs> it's one of my favorite books I've uh, to, to actually write that I have done because it was just so much fun from start to finish. <laughs> and the cover is beautiful. Like I yeah. love all that. Something about her makeup and her dress is just she looks great, gorgeous. Yeah. It's a lovely cover. <laughs> and I think that road trip romance already has so much kind of built into it and then you as the author can just expand upon it and like make it fun I think that's what's fun about road trip romance is when you actually experience the stops like the really good people at the gas station and the good pancakes (laughs) at that diner exactly (laughs) but I mean it is it is some forced proximity because they're stuck in the car together (laughs) I did write a, a YA romance with a road trip but based in the UK and it's a lot harder to road trip over here because it doesn't take that long to get anywhere in places or have the car break down or that kind of thing because it's like maybe the train gets cancelled you know so your most recent release is the princess and the rebel billionaire and it's the first book in the billion dollar matches series in this story princess Isabella falls for Matteo a race car driver The two are matched through a dating agency and it seems like they wouldn't be a fit for each other, but they end up falling in love. Where did the idea for this story and characters come from? Okay, well, this one was actually uh, an editor-led continuity, which means that the editors at Mills and Boone um, came up with the idea for the series. and They put together a series Bible and they strong-armed a few authors into writing it. Not really, we were all so thrilled. (laughs) And uh, so they gave me my characters, with a fairly brief backstory. I mean, I I got maybe like three typed pages of information on this um, for the whole thing, for the setup of the uh, idea of the matchmakers, um, the M agency that matchmakes celebrities and really very rich people and gives them this opportunity to spend a week in the total privacy with their perfect match to see if they can make a go of it. So I had my... My characters, so I had about a paragraph about each of those. The idea that they had to go to Lake Geneva. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of it. Um, <laughs> and so then I had to come in and go, okay, why would these people be here? <laughs> you know? um, and so we knew that Matteo, I think, had recently had an accident, had been sent there by his, by his management agency to try and rehabilitate, rehabilitate his reputation. They're hoping that true love will help him settle down. And then... Princess Isabella is there under duress or under sort of, she's sort of tricked into going by her secretary, which is a bit Mm -hmm. weird. Um, But uh, again, neither of them actually chose to be there and neither of them is actually looking for true love, which I felt was an interesting way to start a uh, series (laughs) about a dating agency to find your true love. Um, so, So yeah, so I had to figure out how these people got there and why, and then what happened next. It was really interesting taking someone else's character and saying, well, what would make them do that? What what can I find in the backstory? I've got this paragraph of information. What can I find that would give me a hint as to what would make them do this or what would make them not want to do this? Or mm-hmm. what would they do next? So yeah, it, it, it's an interesting um, puzzle trying to make it all piece together. So what does piecing the puzzle in an instance like that look like for you? I mean, I can just imagine me getting that and being like, I need to take a walk. <laughs> <laughs> well, literally, yes. I go for a potting walk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's the thinking time. Again, I do, I, I will read through that. And I'm lucky that because I, I write quite fast, I tend to have a reasonable amount of thinking time before I have to start work on a book. If I don't, that's when things get sticky. But if I've got the time, I, you know, I read the whole 
um, premise and the whole Bible. And I read it through a few times and I chatted with the other authors and we talked about some of the things we'd need to tie up and the things we wouldn't and where, where would be. And so I had a lot of it sort of just churning around in my head for weeks and weeks and weeks before I had to start actually writing. And then I would go for a walk and I'd think about it and then I'd come down back and I'd scribble down all my ideas and slowly it would start to take some sort of shape in my head. And that's when I phone my editor and go, how about this? Yeah, it, it's just a lot of thinking. It's the more I think about something, the more I leave my subconscious to work on it, the more the story comes together. When you're doing the continuity series, does it feel a little bit more difficult to write being so like it it sounds easy because some of it's all like some of the work is already done for you here's the gist of it now you come up with the rest but then I feel like that would make it hard at the same time so (laughs) is it easy which one is easier to do like writing your own story looking at the blank page that you have like no idea where it's going or here's some talking points now fill in the rest (laughs) (laughs) They're both, they're both difficult and they're both easy in different ways because of how I work with my editor and um, and in fact with my agent when I'm working on other things. I have very, very good relationships with them. So my editor, Megan at Milson Boone, is used to be phoning up saying, all right, so what are you looking for from the next book? And we'll talk around what sort of tropes they're looking for, if they've got any particular sorts of characters they want to hit and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I take that information away and I come up with something <laughs> for her. And quite often I've written the proposal for the book, which is, not unlike a continuity bible with my paragraph about each character and a little bit about what the emotional conflict between them will be and a bit of backstory and I've written that months before I get around to actually writing the book so Megan's had all these things she's approved them and I sit down to write and go all right what was I going to write about oh this okay so in some ways it's not very different to having forgotten the proposal I wrote (laughs) you know like every time I read with each each line I think like we'll read a book and it's like okay, I could do this. And with this matchmaker series, reading it, I was like, if I ever decided to write a book, I would try to write what we call romance over here because this is so much fun. So this feels very me like this is mm-hmm. <laughs> this is my type of romance but so like what's what was it like working on it with the other authors for the series oh gosh it's my favorite thing to do I love writing continuities because I love working with the other authors and um, you know the authors of the romance line I mean have you seen that lineup they are mm-hmm. brilliant brilliant authors and yep. I'm lucky enough to know a lot of them personally, but also I've been reading their books for a very long time. So it's always slightly scary, but exciting to actually sort of email them and go, oh my God, we're working together. How cool is this? Um, (laughs) So yeah, it's always really exciting because we're on our own a lot of the time writing books. Mm -hmm. So having someone else to chat with, I mean, we do, we do. I don't know if this is top secret. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to tell you this, but the True Love authors, we have an email loop, which we email to most days somebody's on their chat about something and we hammer out issues of plot we talk about personal stuff and we're just in touch a lot of the time they are the most supportive group of people you can imagine um and I talk to some of them more than I probably talk to my friends <laughs> so uh and, it, and it's great so working with them is even better so um being able to chat through story ideas, saying, I'm stuck on this bit. What do I do here? I've got some black moment and we're here. Mm-hmm. Now what? Mm-hmm. What do I do? <laughs> yeah. And having people whose judgment I trust and who know exactly what I am trying to do and why come back and give me ideas is great. Sarah and like our friendship group is the knitting circle. And we, we always imagine you all as like a knitting circle. So now yeah. we know yeah. like the romance, true love forever authors have their own knitting circle we, we kind of do honestly <laughs> sounds amazing on your website you share your romance manif- manifesto which we had to share a snippet of that we love do you know that the last page is the start of a new happier story we need strong heroines who can discover what they need and learn to demand it from people who claim to love them we also need strong heroes who can learn not to be afraid to be changed by love can you talk about this part and what inspired the writing of the manifesto? Absolutely, because this is something I feel very, very strongly about. I've done talks for groups of things, of people, uh, yeah, women's groups and other things, about why romance matters. When I start in a room and people walk in and they see my Mills and Boone's books on the table, they see the women's fiction, and 
they'll take a women's fiction book but not a Mills Abu because like oh yeah my grand used to read those or mm. oh, oh yeah th- those books yeah and I leave them and then I do my talk and I tell them why romance matters and at the end they all pick up a Mills and Boone before they work out walk out because mm-hmm. what people don't think about or that when they're talking down romance novels they don't think about what they're giving you know they think well they're not realistic are they that all those billionaires and you know they all end up with a happy ever after but they don't show that part you don't see the marriages they don't you know relationships don't all last and actually sort of you know ending on a kiss is is just the easy way out because you're not writing the things that matter they claim that you know these things that they're just unimportant fluff that just show a bit of you know nice romance a bit of sex and, and a kiss and then over and you don't see any of the important stuff that's not true <laughs> in summary mm. it isn't yes we end with a happy ever after but you have to believe that happy ever after so to get to the point where you believe that these two people could really actually have a future together. We have to do a lot of work in those pages. We have to take mm-hmm. them from a position where love is the last thing on their minds, where this is somebody they would never fall for, where they don't believe in true love, where they don't believe they can have true love, or they don't believe they deserve it, or where they think they're too damaged, or their past experiences have scarred them. Wherever they start, they have to do all of the internal emotional work together as a couple to get to a point where you believe they could live happily ever after together. To where they believe yeah. in love, where they believe in happiness together, mm-hmm. and they believe they're deserving of love. And that's a lot. The other important thing is this has not necessarily always been the case. Today's heroes respect women, they respect consent, they understand that loving someone is supporting them in whatever it is they want to do. It's being on their side, it's being a partnership, it's being an ally. It's it's not what people used to think of Romans, you know, the really true alpha heroes who are demanding and, you know, all of that stuff. That's not the heroes we write anymore. We try mm-hmm. to model the relationships you'd want your daughter to be in. We try to show that if you are a proper hero, then you treat women the way they deserve to be treated. And if you're a proper heroine, you treat men the way they deserve to be treated too. We try to show equality and respect in relationships. We try to show that talking about your emotions is not a bad thing. <laughs> that um, understanding each other's point of view, that compromise, that discussion, that learning about each other outside of the bedroom as well as inside the bedroom matters in a relationship. Basically, when I write my hero and heroine's journey, I'm trying to get them to a place where I think if they married, they'd have a shot. They'd be happy together because they are respectful and they understand each other as well as love each other. Um, and I think that's really important to model that to young girls who pick these books up, to young boys who pick these books up, mm-hmm. yeah. to anybody yeah. who reads these books, to the women I've heard from who have been in very unhealthy relationships and have read these books and gone, no, I do deserve better. Yeah. I, people tell Absolutely. me that, you know, that romance novels give women unrealistic expectations. I say romance novels give women the expectations they deserve. You you might not want a millionaire, but you want someone who's going to treat you with respect. So we have to talk about your blog because it's (laughs) incredible. And it has Mm -hmm. everything from gift ideas for romance readers, writing seasonal romance, time management for writers, how to win NaNoWriMo. So can you chat about where the inspiration to blog and give back in the way that you do like came from? I think because I spent so long trying to learn about writing from the internet and there Mm -hmm. were so many authors and writers who put up stuff that changed how I looked at the industry, who changed how I was writing myself, who gave me inspiration and ideas of how to get better. I'm just trying to pay that forward a little bit, I guess. I mean, my my blog is a little bit neglected at the moment. I've been busy. But when I have a good idea for a, a blog series or an important post, I like to go and put it up there because I've learned a lot um over the last what 20 years of writing first 10 not professionally and the last 10 (laughs) more professionally and it just seems wrong not to share some of that information yeah one of the I Sarah and I we love Christmas romances we love Christmas stories (laughs) in general and yesterday we were reading over your basically how to write a Christmas romance and (laughs) every point that you made is stuff that we have griped about and celebrated Mm -hmm. in the past just I mean you talked about the senses and that's something we talk about all the time things will be marketed to us as readers oh this is a Christmas romance and you don't smell the hot chocolate you don't feel the gush of wind on your skin and I was like oh my gosh Sophie Pembroke is talking about this in her books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, b- before we go on, because we want to ask, you know, the next question, it's still about the blog post, but 
like for that one specifically, like talk, can you talk a little bit about basically elaborate on that post writing seasonal romances and some of the importance for that? Cause I mean, it is, there are readers of romance who do like those seasonal stories. Yeah. So I think it's almost a subgenre of itself. I mean, when yeah. I want something that's going to make me feel better and I want like a real hug in a book, it's a Christmas romance, right? I love Christmas. Uh, I come from a big family and we do a big Christmas thing and my mum's birthday is Christmas Day and it's it's always a big deal in my family. And I love everything about it. You know, I'm the person who's excited about Christmas now. I'm, you know, I'm the person who, you know, Christmas is my thing. I love Christmas. So the idea that you would write a Christmas book and not include all the things that make it Christmassy is just alien to me. But I do think Christmas romances come with a specific set of expectations because some people who perhaps wouldn't even read romance the rest of the year will pick them up at Christmas because they want a Christmas romance. Christmas romances always seem to sell better for some reason on, on my mind do anyway. <laughs> I just think it's a particular it's a particular thing the reader's looking for. So you can't make it a Christmas romance and not have certain touch points that make people go, oh, yes, Christmas. Oh, yes, Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you have to keep them in that Christmas spirit all the way through. So what have been some of your favorite blog posts to write and share? I did a series about the summer on Seashell Island, taking it from first idea all the way through to publication. And mm. I talked about my notebooks with all my initial notes and thoughts and things in them. Yeah, the, the picture of a llama my daughter drew when I started having an idea of having a llama in the story and sent to my editor and said can I have a llama and she said yeah you can have a llama (laughs) but then all the way through the actual writing of the first draft and then the edits and the more edits and the more edits and then you know the different Mm -hmm. cover ideas and and everything taking it all the way from start to finish because I think there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes in writing a book that you know as a reader you would never see and you would never you know even imagine a lot of Uh, so yeah it was interesting to go back having finished the book and remember what got me there Okay, let's do some writer questions. So you sit down to begin working on your current work in progress. Set the scene for us. Early bird or night owl, what time of day do you feel most productive with writing? Definitely an early bird. Um, At the moment, it's mostly get the kids to school, then come down, sit back with a cup of tea and get writing. I lose the will to do more or less anything around half past three in the afternoon. Um, it might come back a bit later, but there's no there's no betting on it. You know, you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to push it to be honest. Sometimes, if I have to work in the evenings, which I did a lot during lockdown because we were homeschooling, it takes me twice as long to do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. if I'm really busy or there's a deadline pushing, I'm more likely to get up at five and write for an hour or two before the kids get up than mm-hmm. stay up late working. My husband's the reverse. He did most of his PhD working till midnight, and I would be in bed. So <laughs> I just. <laughs> I don't know how he does it because I cannot, I cannot work at that time and he can't do anything before at least one cup of tea. I That's, that's my husband and me. Like I am a five o'clock in the morning. I'm up. Let's get everything done that I need to. I want everything on my to-do list done. Like you said, by like three Mm. o'clock after that, I'm a slug. I don't want to do anything. But my husband is, (laughs) yeah, my husband will be up until like one two o'clock in the morning doing homework do and do doing it? all the things and I'm like it is so boring at this time <laughs> <laughs> are you a plotter or a pantser 100% plotter uh, I get panicky mm-hmm. if I don't know what's happening next I yeah I plot comprehensively as well um I do a lot of sort of pre-thinking and pre-scribbling of notes and thoughts and then I, I need structure, I need scenes, I need arcs, I need to see exactly where things are going. Or yeah, I get a bit panicky. <laughs> so for being a plotter, do you try to plot all of the things out before you sit down and actually write? Yeah, um, I try okay. to have a, a full scene by scene outline with reasonable descriptions of what's going to happen. I always find new stuff. I'm always surprised. There's always something I hadn't even thought of that sort of sneaks in while I'm doing it, but that's half the fun. But I need to at least know where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because like, okay, <laughs> confession time here. Sarah's been working on a book for forever and just her doing it. I'm like, well, I want to try to write a story yeah, just so that I can talk to her, just to talk with her about it while yeah. like I'm cheerleading her on. 
And I messaged her the other day. I was in full freak out mode because I was like, I have no idea how to write the first page. And I'm like, maybe I need to plot this out. I don't know. So uh, when you, okay, you have the idea mm-hmm. and then you, you focus on, okay, this is going to happen. And then this is going to happen. You plot it out then, but I feel like you're still kind of like, I, I think it's that first page. You can do mm-hmm. all the plotting in the world, but it's the words on the first page that are yeah. intimidating. So how does plotting help you with that? <laughs> I think quite often the scenes I need to know most in my head are the opening and the closing and I have to be able to see them so I have to be able to imagine what that scene looks like I need to know why it matters and I think that's the main thing plotting helps me figure out what matters and why at the very least when I'm starting I don't start at the beginning and work my way through I start with the high points or the low points so I say okay Mm -hmm. so in the end I want to get to here but at the beginning I'm here So about halfway through, something needs to change that's fundamental. What's that going to be that's going to shift the whole story for the second half? And then, well, what's going to happen between the beginning and the middle to shift things again, to, you know, fire things up? And what's going to happen between the middle and the end that's going to be awful and look like everything's going to be a disaster? And then I start filling in the pieces. The Mm -hmm. beginning will often echo the ending. So if I know where I'm going... And I know what that final scene's going to be. And I can see it in my head. I can see that happy ever after. I know where they are. I know what's happening. Then I can hint at it in the opening scene. So it helps me imagine where I'm starting from. Sometimes I have a fantastic opening image. And that's what I start with. So like in Pregnant on the Earl's Doorstep, it starts with a young woman who has become accidentally pregnant after a one night stand approaching the castle where it turns out her one night stand lives. And having rubber ducks thrown at her from the, from the battlements. <laughs> and that was my opening image. I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to write that. So why is she there? Who's the father? What's happening? Who are the, Who's throwing the rubber ducks? You know. <laughs> so, so sometimes the first opening image is easy because it, it's, it's fundamental to the whole thing. If it's more of a where am I going to start this? It's finding a way to bring my hero and heroine into the same space or finding a way to turn someone's world completely upside down, or, as I say, echoing where I'm going to end up, if that makes any sense. (laughs) Yes, thank you. If it's a project you've already been working on, do you reread over previous day's work before beginning? No, I don't. Um, I might glance over the last few paragraphs just to figure out where I was, Um, Mm -hmm. but I tend to just keep going to get to the end if I can. If I get stuck um, at any point, then I'll go back over, because it usually means I've missed something or I've failed to notice the importance of something going through but usually because I've got my summary of what this scene is about I can just keep moving forward um, and then fix everything later okay are there any necessities you need around you while writing tea mostly just tea um I, I like I like a scented candle but it's not essential I've got quite good at working pretty much anywhere so I used to work in airports and hotels in the back of conference rooms oh yeah Um, you're used to like noise and people passing by (laughs) I I spent the summer all summer the last month um, at home in Wales with my parents and the kids and my husband came up for the last couple of weeks and we were all in one house and we had my nephew all the time and it was chaos and I'd hoped I wouldn't be working but I just not quite managed to finish off this short story I had to write so I was like I need to do some work while I'm here and there was just no physical where I was working in the madhouse. It just, it wasn't happening. So I've worked in every coffee shop in Wrexham over the last month. And I can tell you now, the best one is the one at the Odeon Cinema, because nobody sits in. They're all just getting coffee to take into the cinema. So it's always empty and they don't mind me hanging out there for hours. And they only play music from films and shows. It's brilliant. Oh, that it. is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, it's 200 miles away from where I live, so I can't go. There. Yeah, now. Do you set daily writing goals? Yes. Um, I have a fairly comprehensive spreadsheet that tells me what I need to do every day. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I I tend to have quite a lot of projects on the go at any one time and a lot of deadlines. um, So I need to know how long things are going to take me. I Mm -hmm. have a fairly accurate handle on how much I can do in a day. I know how much I can do on a slow day, how much I can do on a normal day, how much I can do on a deadline day. And they are not the same thing. (laughs) And uh, so I have a spreadsheet that keeps track of where I am in relation to my project and my deadline. So I always know what I need to do before I start. 
And are there any specific programs that you use to write? Yes. Um, are you Scrivener? Scrivener? Scrivener or Scrivener? Okay. I don't know. Scrivener. <laughs> I've, I've, used, <laughs> yeah, I've used it for years. Um, I, it works really well with how I work because it has all the index cards that I can fill in for my scenes and it's got all the space to write all my notes and um, to color code things and set targets. And it, it's very me. Um, and yeah, I, I've used it for years and I, I wouldn't consider writing a project without it anymore. Okay, this is a random question that we have not asked before, Sarah. But like, hmm. okay, after you've sent off the book, once the book is on the shelf, what do you do with the book on the computer? <laughs> <laughs> I move it into the appropriate file. Uh, I, have, uh, I have a Dropbox. Like, never which... get away with it. Never get, like, throw it away, right? No, God, no. It. Okay. No, no. Um, I, I have a, a Dropbox set up with, active projects completed projects pending projects and everything just gets filed away it's quite exciting moving that folder into the completed yeah. projects folder. although i also have a publication prep folder which is where things that are coming out soon that i still i'm referencing all the time sit okay. um, and then the active thing it moves from planning to writing to editing to submission to uh, yeah everything it's, it's there's, there's something so so satisfying to move something i do it at work like when mm. i finish an email i move it and I just, it's just so satisfying to move like that email. It's like off on a list, isn't it? It's, it's the, right? the gold star that says, I've done it, I finished, right. yay me. <laughs> so some backlist questions. Which book from your backlist do you remember laughing the most while writing? I think it probably was Road Trip with the Best Man, actually, because I had so much fun sticking those two together and they just didn't want to be there. Um, <laughs> and, it, you know, just the adventures they had and the way that Dawn could wind him up. Yeah, it was fun. I, I laughed a lot to myself at my own stupid jokes writing that one. <laughs> <laughs> Which book from your backlist was the toughest to write? I think the toughest was Falling for the Bridesmaid, not because of the book itself, but because I was eight months pregnant when I was writing it. And I had severe pregnancy sickness through both of my pregnancies. And I couldn't look at the computer screen without throwing up. So, oh <laughs> so I wrote that whole book lying flat on my back on the sofa with my laptop on my knees and just having to close my eyes between paragraphs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. oh, the determination, I swear. Well, and the worst thing right? was, it was the final part of the series and I was writing it with two other authors I adored and I really, really wanted it to be good. And I, I couldn't miss my deadline and it had to be done before the baby came. And yeah. Is there a book in your backlist that you feel readers have reached out to you about the most? I think probably um, Summer on Seashell Island because... It's about siblings and sibling relationships and people always have a lot of things to say about that. But also mm -hmm. because it features a llama and people have a lot of things to say about Lucifer the llama. <laughs> Love llamas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is there a book in your backlist that you feel taught you something about yourself as a writer? Maybe, maybe The Last Days of Summer because it's, it's quite a different book. It's first person, which not many of mine are. But also because I'd written it a long time ago forgotten it existed and then found yeah. it again and uh, submitted it and, and edited it significantly at that point and it was really interesting looking at how my writing style had changed how certain aspects of the story I felt needed to change now because I'd grown so much as a writer in the intervening years yeah before we started recording I I, I mentioned to Sophie listeners that i one clicked that one yesterday and I'm determined to get it in physical copy because it's gorgeous. But yeah, mm -hmm. you talked about how you wrote it and kind of forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> Which I didn't think was a thing you could do, but I did. And I just, and I'd, I knew I'd written the first half of it, but I never remembered writing the second half. I thought it was just one of the many unfinished things on my, on my computer. And then one night I was up in the middle of the night breastfeeding my son and I was scrolling through files on my iPad and I saw it there and thought, what happened to that you know and I opened it up I was like oh I wrote all of it it's all there I finished that book <laughs> so that was weird <laughs> which book in your backlist did you have to do the most research to write that was probably road trip with the best man as well just mm -hmm. for all those stops on the road trip um, yeah. but it's such fun research <laughs> <laughs> I love that you like had maps and stuff because I, I know mean, right? now you could just like a google map it but I mean if you really want to capture a road trip I mean you gotta like you gotta have a pull map. up a map Absolutely. <laughs> is there a book in your backlist with a character or scene that comes across your mind the most 
It might be the opening scene of Summer on Seashell Island where uh, Miranda is chasing the llama across the beach. <laughs> or it might be the scene in the attic in um, The Last Days of Summer, which I won't spoil for you, but just you watch out for that scene in the attic. Okay. <laughs> so now some round out questions. What is one book you wish you could read again for the first time? I think probably Shadow of the Moon by MMK. Ooh. Um, it's a historical fiction uh, set in India and my Ooh. father's family are thought from uh, Anglo- they're Anglo-Indian and um, I, my gran grew up there her whole life she never came over till the 50s and her family was still out there and she got me reading a book set in India and I just love them <laughs> and that was oh one of the first God. I read that's always been my favourite What's a romance you've read within the past few years that reminded you of why you love the genre? Oh, so many. I think Red, White and Royal Blue, I loved and I loved it because obviously it's not your uh, typical category romance for sure, but it's such Mm -hmm. a fantastic show of how diverse um, romance can be. But looking at uh, more category romance, I'd say Ellie Darkin's Snowbound at the the Manor because it's just the perfect Christmas romance and I loved Mm -hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and uh, Rachel Stewart's Reawakened, because I love the fact that yes. Olivia is older than him, and she's my age, and Rachel's my age, and I just loved it. <laughs> yeah, I love You that, read that, that one, age, right, Brie? Yeah. Yes. Oh my god, it's so good. She's like swimming in the middle of the night at like oh, 3 o'clock in the morning. It's all the things, I'm like, yeah, I could do that. I could do that. I, mean, I wouldn't do any of those things because they're absolutely not me. But I like to think that theoretically I could. Yeah. <laughs> We're just going to live through Olivia. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm doing. Living vicariously through Olivia. <laughs> Who was your teenage celebrity crush? Christian Slater. Nice. <laughs> From the age of 11, when I saw him in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, it was, it was all over. <laughs> oh, I forgot what? he was in that. It's yeah. my favorite movie of all time. Mm. It doesn't what? matter that it's dreadful. I love it. <laughs> What would teenage you think about her life now? I think she'd think it's kind of dull, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think she'd say, oh, you know, you know, married, kids, house, all those sort of grown-up things, I think would not necessarily appeal massively. But the fact that I get to write stories for a living, oh, she'd be over the moon about that bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we got the dream, but it also came with all of this. Yeah. <laughs> And of course, when she, by the time she gets there, it's like, oh, yeah, those are things I wanted. But as a teenager, no. (laughs) Name one film you'll never stop watching. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. There you go. (laughs) My father and I have a a big thing about Robin Hood stories generally and also Arthurian legends. And so any sort of film about King Arthur or Robin Hood or any book or anything at all about them, you can guarantee we'll both have seen and be ready to discuss. So Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is still one we watch together whenever it's on telly, even though we both own the DVD. <laughs> I made It was on on New Year's Day this year and I had made my daughter watch it and she spent the whole time looking at me incredulously going, why? Why are we watching this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love the Disney Robin Hood. Oh, it's I my, love that one I too. love the Disney oh. Robin Hood. I remember and... being ill at Christmas with tonsillitis at the age of about 10 and watching it yeah. and... Uh, it just being the perfect thing. Perfect movie. It was. It was delightful. What is one hill you will wholeheartedly die on? That all books are worthwhile if they give the reader what they need and you can't judge other people's reading choices. What is one of your favorite romance tropes to read? Oh, I love them all. This is terrible. I wrote an entire <laughs> blog post about romance tropes and each one is like, and I love this trope. This trope's my favorite. <laughs> no, no, this one. This one. I just, I love them all. I just think they're all brilliant and I love how... Um, romance authors find new ways to twist them every time you think you know what's coming and it isn't and it's just great mm-hmm. um but I do I love I love friends to lovers I'm very mm-hmm. fond of friends to lovers I love the idea that they've already built up a strong relationship without the sex and that something yeah. changes and it becomes yep. a completely different thing and I really enjoy that that chemistry is like already there yeah. right <laughs> mm-hmm. is there a category romance series that you wish never went away Oh, the Kiss series. I loved them. Yes. They were so good. I think those were some of the first ones I was reading when I was starting to write as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I loved them. They were great. Tough love. What's been one of the toughest pieces of advice you've ever been given? I think people are generally 
gentle with me in case I break. Um, <laughs> I think my agent saying to me, uh, we've been working trying to find a, a book to sell or a new book to sell. We were looking to sort of branch out and do new things. And we talked about so many ideas and I'd sent her so many proposals and we talked and chatted about everything and I'd written notes and I'd written sample chapters and everything. And eventually she just said, I can't sell the book if you don't write it. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I missed that part. Oh yeah, that is important, isn't it? <laughs> Guess we have to actually have a product to sell. Yeah. <laughs> but I did go away and write the book, so it worked. <laughs> Fifteen years from now, you're writing your memoir. What's the title? Probably just one more page, which is what I always mm -hmm. used to say to my mom when she came to turn my light off at bedtime. And in fact, yeah. I used to say it even after I was asleep and she had already turned my light out, she'd walk in and in my sleep, I'd just say, just one more page. Oh. <laughs> She's like, you're already asleep. <laughs> I love that it. doesn't matter. <laughs> now and then, knowing what you know now, what advice would you go back and tell yourself at the beginning of your writing career? I think I'd tell me to take chances and write what matters. I've been really lucky. I've been able to write books that I love and that are meaningful to me. And I'm proud of all of them. I just think it's important to remember that you're not just writing, even though you are writing for a market, you're writing for a line, you're writing for a readership, you're also writing for yourself. And mm -hmm. it's really important to remember that first and foremost, I have to love the stories. From following you on Instagram, you recently shared some big news about what's in the works by you. Can you share a bit about it with our listeners? I can. It's been officially announced and I'm allowed to tell people and it's very okay. exciting. <laughs> um, I am, because, you know, writing romance and women's fiction and YA wasn't quite enough. I am also now writing crime fiction. Um, my first cozy crime novel, The Three Dahlias, is going to be coming out next summer. Um, in hardback which is super exciting wow um, and I'll be writing it as Katie Watson um, okay. and it's it's the story of three actresses uh, one in her 20s one in her 40s one in her 60s who have all played the same character of Dahlia Lively the, the lady detective who was created by the fictional author uh, Lettuce Davenport, and they are brought together at a convention, a crime con fan convention at the author's home. They have to work together to solve a murder that happens while they're there and overcome their rivalries. Oh. I love oh, it. This sounds so good. It sounds so old Hollywood. It's <laughs> <laughs> very much um, an homage to Golden Age crime fiction, Agatha Christie. And, and, I was going to say Agatha Christie, kind of yeah. But with a very contemporary spin because you've got... Um, you know these are mod it's set in the modern day these are mm -hmm. uh, women living in this world trying to make a career in this world trying to be actresses <laughs> in this world and I think we all know that's not the easiest thing <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um yeah there's, there's a lot of very contemporary stuff in there so, yeah. can you share like where did the idea from it for it come from I wanted to write crime fiction for a while and my agent and I had been kicking around some ideas and then in the middle of the night she emailed me <laughs> literally three in the morning she'd obviously just woken up and said three actresses who all played the same detective and she was thinking of it as a sort of um, older Miss Marple type thing mm -hmm. and I think originally she was just calling it three marples in her head but obviously for copyright reasons that's not a thing we were able to go with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And Let's not get in trouble here. Okay. No. <laughs> so I literally, I just read this one sentence and went, well, okay, yeah, I could do that. Um, and then I built it up and I went back to her and went, how about this? And she was like, okay, yes, this. And, and, we, and we worked back and forth and we were writing it during lockdown. And so she was just, she was stuck at home, like all of us, and bored. And she was just texting me things she'd like to see in it. She's like, can <laughs> there be a doll's house? Can there be? <laughs> I was like, yeah, right, fine, whatever, whatever you need, whatever's going to frighten you. And my husband and I were painting the shed in our back garden, and I was quizzing. He's a chemist, um, or an analytical chemist, and I was uh, quizzing him on poisons and how would this work? And if we had that poison, what do you think? <laughs> and he's like, is there something you want to tell me? <laughs> Should I be worried? Yeah. <laughs> Probably safer than Googling it, though, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's used to finding weird things. I mean, the day he, he'd been in my study and he walked into the room with some papers in his hand and went, should I be worried that you're researching eloping to 
Scotland. And I was like, no, 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 it's fine. Okay. <laughs> it's for a book. Sorry. Husband yeah. of romance writer diaries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love it. Well, we are so excited. That sounds just yes. amazing. Yes. We cannot wait for that. For sure. I'm really, really excited about it. <laughs> and lastly, where can everyone follow you online? Oh, all over the place. Um, so if you head to my website, which is sophiepembroke.com, you can sign up for my newsletter, which I promise will start going out more regularly again now summer is over and I'm here. And that's got all the latest news of everything that I'm up to and what's going on. But I'm also on Facebook as Sophie Pembroke author. I'm on Instagram as Sophie underscore Pembroke and Twitter, rarely because I forget about it, as Sophie mm-hmm. underscore Pembroke. And if you're interested in the crime novel, Uh, So I'm doing that as Katie Watson. And if you head to katiewatson.co.uk, you can sign up for the Dahlia Diaries, where I'm going to be talking about the new book all the way from now, sale, all the way through to publication in July, talking about the edits, talking about working on book two um, and taking you through everything that happens behind the scenes on that one. I'm so excited. Mm -hmm. Okay, one more thing. So the Mm -hmm. title, like, because you said the Dahlia Diaries, and I, all I think about is the iconic, like the Black Dahlia case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, where did the title inspiration come from? Because okay. if it's not that, then it's that's not. Great. I mean, it's not generally. It's it's, I say it's called the Three Dahlias, and because of three actresses who are playing Dahlia, um, the name is actually moderately accidental. In that we were we wanted a flower name basically, and we were hitting names back and forth. Me and my agent trying to come up with the right one. And none of them felt right till we hit Dahlia. And because it has that connotation of murder already, it just mm-hmm. it just fitted really, really yeah, well. Yeah. Um, and it. her surname is Lively because then you can have all the fun book types. So all the way through the book at the start of every chapter, you've got an excerpt from these books that don't exist about Dahlia mm-hmm. Lively. And they've all got fantastic titles that I had so much fun coming up with. Like, oh, oh my a gosh. lively murder. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, we cannot wait. Listeners, mm-hmm. make sure you check the show notes. We will have all the places you can follow Sophie Pembroke and mm-hmm. all the places you can get her book. So make sure you check out the show notes. And Sophie, thank you so much for letting us start our day with you, although oh, it's yeah. later in the day for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nearly tea time here. <laughs> Always tea time here. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much. And Sarah and I will chat with you listeners in our next episode. Have a lovely day, everybody. Bye.